Well, friends, this morning is going to be a questions and op- uh, questions and options opportunity. I totally floundered that. Let me try that again. It's going to be questions and answers from God's Word, a Bible Q&A show uh, that gives you the opportunity to join in the conversation. And I am looking forward to talking to you. Whether that is live on air, I get to hear your voice, or whether that is um, through Facebook, um, through you commenting on the Facebook stream, or sending in a question via WhatsApp or via voice note, I am really looking forward to engaging with you this morning. I, I do want to tell you how you can join the conversation. If you're sitting at home, uh, maybe you're not sitting at home, maybe you're busy hanging up the washing or doing the dishes, maybe you're driving in your car, uh, maybe you are sitting at home and listening to the radio. This is how you can engage in the conversation this morning. Number of ways. The first one is you can phone into the studio. I really enjoy um, folk that phone into the studio. Thank you for those regular listeners uh, that phone in and if you're going to be a first-time listener and phone in, I'm going to get super excited to hear your voice. The telephone number for the studio line is 012-334-1322. Should I repeat that? Do you have your pen and paper ready? Or have you got your cell phone primed to type the number in? It is 012-334-1322. There are other ways that you can communicate with us this morning. For instance, you can drop a comment on Facebook. Our Facebook stream is currently going out live to Radio Pulpit slash Radio Console. That is our Facebook page. If you type in Radio Pulpit on Facebook, you'll see the Radio Pulpit logo. It's a cross and a couple of sound waves coming out of the cross with the uh, with the frequencies underneath it. Uh, if you click on that, you'll see that we are currently live on Facebook. If you type a comment into the Facebook stream, I get to see it in studio right here in front of me and can engage uh, with you on the air. Um, and I do want to say thank you to to Arnold and to Deirdre and to Elisa um, as well as to I don't know how to say that name it is a very confusing name uh, and many others including Mari that have uh, engaged with the Facebook conversation over the last while uh, just got in from Linda Yobey morning from Montague West uh, in the Cape Linda lovely to hear from you thank you for being the first commenter uh, this morning on Facebook that's great in actual fact if you're listening and streaming live from Facebook right now won't you just Type in. You don't need to type in your name. I'll get to see that anyway. But but say hi and say where you're from so that we can join you into the conversation live on air, and give some thought to a Bible question and answer. Maybe something that you heard in the sermon last week that you'd like to ask clarity about. Maybe something that you heard in Bible study this week that you would like confirmation about. Maybe something that you read in the scriptures yourself um, in your own personal devotion that you'd like like to ask a question about um, please do ask your questions uh, so far I've given you the studio line I have given you Facebook the third way that you can engage and communicate with us even this morning uh, is by sending a voice note or a message to WhatsApp and Telegram the telephone number for WhatsApp and Telegram is standby 0826572729 should I repeat that for you 
082-657-2729. I love to hear voice notes. Love to get your messages in there. Uh, I imagine that Teresa is busy typing furiously. <laughs> Teresa, long-time listener, hasn't commented yet today, but normally sends in three questions via Facebook or via WhatsApp. Looking forward to seeing your questions, brother, um, even as you think of them right now. If you are twit, we are on Twitter um, together with Elon Musk. Uh, you can tweet us on at 657 AM at 657 AM. Elon, if you are listening, you can tweet, you can tweet us as well. Um, we will answer your Bible questions live on air uh, at the same time. Bottom line is uh, this morning we are looking forward uh, to communicating with you and to having you join the conversation. Uh, Linda just sent in a, uh, a message via WhatsApp. We do see that, Linda. Thanks for joining in the conversation. Um, this morning on the controls, pressing all the buttons, answering all the calls, is our co-laborer in the ministry, Impo. It's really great to have you with us. Thank you so much. He's standing by to take your calls uh, as you phone into the studio on the studio line. Marlene, uh, great to have you with us listening in from Pretoria. I haven't given a shout out to Pretoria yet this morning. So shout out to everyone that is tuning in from the capital city, whether you are in Monument Park, whether you are in the Moet, or whether you are in Centurion, it is good to have you together with us live on air this morning. I do enjoy having people from all over Pretoria as well as further afield because um, our signals go out all over South Africa on AM frequency and then recognizing that we have people even from further listening in on the stream. So whether you're in Brussels, uh, whether you're in Belgium or whether you are in Flanders Fields in France, it's great to have you with us this morning. It could also be that you're listening to this show on podcast. We do podcast the show. It's available wherever you pick up your good podcasts. Um, you can use our podcast service, which is rono.fm, rono.fm, if you had to search for Radio Pulpit Table Talk with Mark, you will find the show. Monet, uh, I see that smiley face on WhatsApp. Thank you so much for joining us. And Sonia, good morning. I'm from Vonderboom, Pretoria, as well as Precious listening in from Pretoria. Tis that lots of Pretoria. Wreathens listening in. I don't know if that's what you'd call people from Pretoria uh, listening in uh, uh, this uh, morning, uh, commenting on Facebook. Marlene is listening in on DSTV. Can you believe I didn't mention the fact that we are on DSTV channel 882 on Open View channel 607 as well as on www.radiopulpit.co.za wherever you're listening in guys, it is good to be with you this morning. I am looking forward to getting in a couple more questions and answers uh, that we can engage with live on air. Um, I am looking forward to hearing from some regular listeners, whether it's Google um, Hannah in Benoni or whether it is um, folk in Vitbank. Um, uh, we are we're looking forward to those questions pouring in. A couple more highs uh, coming in, um, and it's good to be with you this morning. Let, let's kick off the conversation um, around... Um, uh, is smoking a sin? That was the first question that came in uh, this morning. It came in via WhatsApp. Uh, thank you so much for asking it. Uh, is smoking a sin? It is a very complicated 
question to answer um, and everybody holds an opinion on smoking whether it is sinful uh, whether it is distasteful um, everybody uh, holds an opinion on this I'm going to give you uh, my understanding and I'm going to give you a couple of the Bible says so when the Bible talks on a topic uh, we take that as precept or principle and we we inculcate it into what we believe uh, when it comes to other kinds of questions or other kinds of matters where the Bible is explicit uh, we do make clear that we're giving opinion I'm going to give you some the Bible says and I'm going to give you some opinion um, and then uh, Charlotte I do see your question as well thank you so much for asking it uh, on Matthew 27 51 to 53 around the resurrection um, I, I, I've uh, I've heard that question before and it is a fascinating scripture we'll go and take a look at it um, shortly Tinker says good morning from a cool Robson uh, Robson's down in the Western Cape Tinker it's always great to have you with us uh, on air this morning so as far as what the Bible says about smoking it never directly mentions smoking so it's not like we have a precept in scripture thou shalt not smoke whatever brand of cigarette we might fill in the gap um, or cigar um, there are however principles uh, in God's word that do apply to smoking um, so for example the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 12 that things are permissible for me in fact everything is permissible for me but not everything's beneficial um, everything is permissible for me but I will not be mastered by anything many would take that passage of scripture to be talking um, to I will not be addicted by anything I will be not mastered or overcome by anything another passage of scripture which contains and uh, talks about um, uh, a, a principle that that many do apply to smoking would be 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 and 20 where it says do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God you're not your own you were bought at a price therefore honor God with your body and many people would say well look smoking is very bad for your health it's proven to damage your lungs you're the temple of God and therefore do not smoke I don't want to completely discount um, those passages all the principles that many people would apply to smoking but I, I do want to be I do want to be fair with those passages friends they are quite removed from the topic of smoking in particular um, when the Apostle Paul is addressing the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 um, he does not have smoking in mind it seems that um, more likely in mind in terms of the context both before the passage and after the passage he is thinking about sexual immorality he's thinking particularly about temple prostitution um, and so uh, the precept and the direct application would have to be to those things uh, to principalize the text and then apply it more broadly um, uh, one does need to say that 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 in terms of the application of these principles you're doing it in a way which one Christian might say this is precept one Christian might say this is principle and another Christian might very rightly also say this is a doubtful matter in terms of the application of those two principles um, to the matter of um, of smoking uh, one also 
takes into account the level of freedom as a as a balancing principle that we have in Christ. Uh, I think of Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 by way of example it is for freedom that you have been set free again. I've just principalized the text and applied it to the conversation in a way that the that the apostle Paul didn't actually intend. Galatians is he's talking about soteriological matters. He's talking about sanctification particularly in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians but but one might principalize that particular text and say but there's freedom you have freedom to drink you know um, sugary soda water um, soda uh, cool drinks Um, and sugar isn't particularly good for you and sugar certainly is addictive and one might be mastered by that or or coffee for instance many people might wake up and say um, I need my first cup of coffee in the morning in fact many people wake up and say I need my first cup of coffee in the morning and they really do they kind of like a monster until they drink it um however uh, is that the kind of addiction or mastery that paul is speaking about in 1 corinthians 6 i I actually don't think so however there are a number of other principles that do apply um to smoking the reality is many people do take exception to smoking see it as a sin and so uh, if a christian um uh, smoked and saw this as a freedom which he has a matter of personal decision I think it would be wise um, not to cause your brother to stumble. Um, I wouldn't smoke on a church. Uh, well, maybe just to be clear, I don't smoke. <laughs> but if I was a Christian that did smoke, I wouldn't smoke on church property or in invisible uh, distance away from other people. Um, uh, it's the kind of habit that many would frown upon and, and see as uh, more than gross. Some would see it as a sin and it would literally cause them to stumble. I'd be very careful the way that I exercise exercise that freedom if I exercise that freedom maybe just to say um, smoking aside and whether it's a sin or not aside um, it is certainly bad for your health and I would counsel just practically against it and um, certainly would give that counsel to my kids uh, I have a 19 year old a 7 year old and an 8 year old and uh, I'm not encouraging them to go out and get addicted to smoking but that's mainly a health reality um, I don't want to see them mess up their lungs or develop emphysema or asthma uh, like their dad has over time I do want to say thanks for a number of the questions that have come in there are a number of whatsapp um, uh, of whatsapp voice notes that have come in over the last while um, I've no doubt that Impo is sitting at the back listening to these seeing if they are appropriate and questions that will come in live on air uh, Antoinette and others uh, will be talking to those now, uh, uh, shortly I do in the meantime want to turn uh, in my Bible to Matthew chapter 27 Matthew chapter 27 um, I'll be reading from the ESV uh, use the ESV as my um, as my translation of choice it's the translation that Central Baptist Church uses and uh, and I have become quite uh, uh, quite uh, attached to it over the last six months uh, in Matthew chapter t- uh, 27 reading from verse 51 in actual fact let's read from verse 45 and maybe just to give the context the book of Matthew is all about the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
chapter 27 in particular is about the death of Jesus Christ. It's about his trials. It's about him being found guilty of sins he did not commit. It's about him being taken out to a cross. Um, it's about him um, going through the process of, of dying on a cross for the sins of mankind. Um, about the sixth hour in verse 45 when darkness covered over all the land until the ninth hour. And then in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying and what follows is Aramaic but translated my God my God why have you forsaken me some of the bystanders uh, heard that and said the man is calling out for Elijah and one of them actually ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink but others said wait let's see if Elijah will come and save him and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and healed it up his spirit we read in the book of John um, that Jesus declared with a loud voice it is finished um, uh, perfectly uh, the payment had been made the price had been paid the wrath of God against sin had been satisfied and Jesus Christ the Son of God gave up his life verse 51 and behold the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom we see that as symbolic really and um, we see that as a metaphor it truly happened but it, it was a metaphor of the holy of holies um, being exposed man's relationship with God being restored Jesus made a way that man could be reconciled to the Lord his God and it says in verse 41 that the earth shook and the rocks split God put his power on display at the death of Christ um, the bottom line is uh, this was not just a physical death this was a spiritual death and uh, let me say a supernatural death and God wanted the world to know it and it says in verse 42 uh, 52 that the tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many charlotte asks the questions greeting mark and the pulpit family my question is on matthew 27 51 to 53 in your opinion what resurrection was this did those holy men and women have the same resurrection that jesus promised of the dead in Christ it is a great question thanks for asking it Charlotte um, in my opinion as I, I read this text um, I would say no this wasn't the same resurrection as Jesus had three days later Jesus' resurrection um, was a first resurrection, first fruits, um, a preeminent resurrection. And he was raised in what we would call a glorified body. When we read in the book of John uh, of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, we read of the disciples, for instance, being in a room with the doors barred shut. They were in fear of the Jews and cowering away. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ was in the midst of them. It seems in, in Christ's resurrection, body had the ability um, even to appear um, uh, in a locked room um, and yet he had a body which was physical he was able to tell his disciples touch 
touch me and um, put your hands into into the hole in my hands put your your hand into my side see it's me he asked for broiled fish uh, in the book of Luke and he ate with them so that they knew that he wasn't a ghost um, but he had a glorified body you can read more about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, where it talks about this resurrection um, that is a future resurrection which we await which we long for uh, upon death um, we who are in Christ will be translated to paradise um, we will one day be with Christ in heaven but there will come a time where we will be raised in glorified bodies bodies that are sinless um, bodies that are, are prepared in a imperishable and incorruptible way um, that will then last us for all eternity to come in my opinion, this resurrection that's spoken about in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, 52, and 53, isn't that resurrection. This would be a little bit more like the resurrection of Lazarus from the grave. You'll remember in the book of John, Jesus cries across the chasm of death, Lazarus, um, come out and and Lazarus comes out of the grave you remember that he stunk because he had been dead for four days by that stage um, and he was wrapped in linen cloth and, uh, uh, and, and, and had been going through the process of death when Jesus Christ by his own power raised him from the grave well this resurrection would have been like that in order to underline the fact that this was that Jesus Christ's death was not just a physical death and not, not a spiritual death but a supernatural death on behalf of mankind God by his power tore that temple curtain in two shook the earth split rocks and raised some dead people and um, people who were um, who, who were God fearing and who are described in this text as holy and they go to the holy city and appear to many uh, confirming that the death of Christ was indeed a miracle but these men, just like Lazarus, would have still died. They, they, they were raised for a time, but they still would have died, uh, just like Lazarus died. Now, I've got to say this is my opinion, because we're not really given enough in the text to be completely unequivocal about this. Um, but I think that that is the most logical explanation of what's going on in Matthew 27, verse 51, 52, and 53. That said... Charlotte, you do open the discussion in terms of resurrection and what it will mean to be resurrected and in the presence of Jesus Christ. And it gets me really excited. Um, uh, not just not just resurrected from from um, uh, uh, so that we can live out a, a full life for a couple of extra years, but one day risen from the grave that we might stand before Jesus Christ and worship him forever and ever. That idea of resurrection is is really the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our, our Lord and our Savior. And it's a hope that really stirs us and gets us super, super excited um, about the future, the future that we have in Christ. Thank you so much for the question. We're going to move on now to a question from Antoinette. Antoinette, thank you so much. You sent us in a WhatsApp voice note. We are going to listen to it now. Good morning. I would like to know whether um, if I'm not baptized um, again as an adult, but I am a follower of Jesus, I am 
a newborn Christian. I walk the path with Jesus, but I have not been baptized um, for a second time. With other words, I haven't been uh, put under water. Um, will I go to hell? Well, my will the fact that I that I'm new reborn will that not count? Antoinette, what a what an excellent question, and really it gets to the heart of what is salvation, how we are saved, and it gets to the heart of what is baptism. What does baptism actually mean? the The question here is: If I have not been baptized as a believer, um, but I believe, um, will I go to heaven or will I go? to hell. Antoinette, thank you so much for the question. I hope that I'll answer it comprehensively enough for you. If you're listening live on air, you might have a follow-up question or want a point of clarification um, after I'm done. Um, But let me answer this theologically and let me answer this with some Bible verses. Theologically, Antoinette, we are not saved by baptism. Baptism is not a step toward our salvation. We are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. It is an act of grace alone. We are not saved by baptism, which is a work. Um, We are saved by the person of Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, Antoinette, if you have heard the gospel that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, that that man sinned and has fallen short of the glory of God. If you've recognized that you are a sinner in need of a savior and you've looked to the person of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, Emmanuel, God with us, who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross for our sins, who went to the grave, but on the third day rose from the grave in victory over sin sin and this world and death. Internet, if you have heard that gospel message and you have heard the call that you must turn from your sins and put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, if you have professed with your mouth and believed with your heart that he is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, then Internet, you are a child of God. God God grants you new life. He gives you new life and your Christian life begins. And Antoinette, just like you didn't save yourself, God saved you. You don't keep yourself saved. God keeps you saved. He will present those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ before his glorious throne without fault, without blemish one day. Uh, I'm thinking of the book of Jude, verse 24, uh, 23 and 24. It gets me all excited. This idea of God keeping us saved. You didn't save yourself and you don't keep yourself saved. So what is baptism then if it's not involved in our salvation? The answer is baptism is a commanded act of obedience by Jesus Christ. Jesus says in the book of Matthew, well it turns out we're going to be staying in the book of camping out in the book of Matthew a little bit this morning. In the book of Matthew in chapter 28, um, it says uh, in terms of the Great Commission after Jesus Christ, excuse me, <coughs> 
um, after Jesus Christ appeared uh, to his 11 disciples in Galilee, after he's appeared on a mountain, after he's made that declaration that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them immersing them baptism in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to observe all that i've commanded you and behold i'm with you always to the end of the age internet baptism is an act of obedience it is an act that we are called to as believers we are called to go through the waters of baptism to be baptized to be immersed by water it is a command of our lord and our savior and for those of us who have read scripture and come to the conclusion that believer baptism is by full immersion then we are obligated to be baptized by full immersion and we must do so um urgently as quickly as possible um to not go through one of the commands which we believe our lord and our savior has given would amount to an act of sin and it would be foolish for me to say that um that 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 just kind of um uh, the commands of jesus christ aren't important no the commands of jesus christ are very important and so if you've read scripture and come to the conclusion of believer baptism by full immersion then my encouragement would be go and find a church where you can get baptized uh, as soon as possible but I must acknowledge, as I read these scriptures, that other Christians come to different conclusions on this passage. And so in Christian charity, I do want to recognize that not everybody um, uh, holds to believer baptism. Um, and it would be foolish for you to get baptized if it's something that you haven't come to scripture and been convinced in scripture uh, that this is a fact. Uh, that in turn would be an, a, a sinful act. It would be a, a superfluous actor it, it wouldn't mean anything it, it wouldn't represent anything uh, and so Antoinette as you read scripture if you've come to the conclusion that baptism is by full immersion for believers I would encourage you to get baptized um, if at this stage uh, you read scripture and you conclude that baptism is not uh, uh, by full immersion and is not necessary for believers um, if you come to a Presbyterian understanding then then clearly you ought not to be baptized but either way baptism is not related to our salvation it is an act of sanctification it, uh, it is it is a faithful um, ongoing um, a, a, a faithful obedient call um, to believers um, friends as as I look at the time I realize that we are at the top of the hour normally we would go now to a song uh, we would uh, have a short advertisement break but we do have John from Highlands North um, on the line and so I don't want him to hold on the line for, for too long so John uh, you are live on air it's great to have you with us this morning Thanks, Pastor Mark. Are you well? I, I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? Yes, very well, thank you. Now, often when I've spoken to you, you've been in a car. I'm, I'm assuming you're not in the car right now. <laughs> I am in the car. Eh? <laughs> Did you pull over at the side <laughs> of the road? Yes, yeah, something like that. Okay, great stuff. Well, John, I've always enjoyed your questions. Uh, thank you for phoning in. Looking forward to chatting to you. Yeah, thank you. I always enjoy your show as well. I'll, I'll try and keep it short. Um, if you do want to go to a break after the question, I don't mind. I'll just tune in afterwards cool. um, so I'll just ask the question quickly in, in Revelation 22 we read that um, 
John's speaking about there's a river that flows from the Lamb of God and from the throne. And, and he's talking about uh, sort of believers that are planted beside this river that bears fruit. Um, there's sort of 12, 12 different fruits that it bears every month. Um, now, I wanted to just find out that river that flows from the throne of God and from the Lamb of God, is that river flowing right now from the throne, or is this a river that will flow in the new heaven and the new earth? Sure, John. That's like a... That's such an interesting question. Hadn't <laughs> ever thought of that in my life. And to be honest with you, uh, as soon as we hit Revelation chapter 22, there's a little bit of mystery going on in that it's on right. the other side of, you know, as I read the book of Revelation, I'm seeing a tribulation period. I'm seeing uh, the second coming of Christ. I'm seeing him set up a millennial kingdom. Uh, I'm seeing the great white throne judgment in the chapter just before this. Um, but when you get to Revelation chapter 22, you're in kind of eternal state zone, right? And there's okay. a lot of mystery. I mean, there's just there's just so much that we don't know about this that that that, that I've just got to right up front say like I, like shaky ground. Like I always get a little bit shaky on eschatology. I, I'm always a little bit weary to be unequivocal. That, that's the first right. thing. The second thing is I actually haven't studied this particular text in the kind of depth. Um, to 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 answer the question that you're asking, like, is this a current okay. river that's that's currently throwing flowing from the throne? I'm just I'm just now thinking of in terms of biblical theology, right? How how, how I might have thought of this in the past. I I've always seen Genesis one to three or one and two as a perfect creation right Genesis 3 is the start of the fall and just a mess of God's creation and 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 then the story kind of kind of coming up to the person of Jesus Christ who begins this redemption of all things but the world groaning for the second coming of Christ and a build-up in terms of 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 anticipation through the book of Revelation is the king gonna come and restore all things and then Jesus comes at the end of the book of Revelation and it seems that the book of Revelation as you get to the end there's a restoration of the original state and there's kind of like now there's a tree in the garden and 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 and, and there's perfection and there's this sinless brilliance and and the relationship between God and his creation is restored and true worship is happening i don't know if the pictures that are in revelation chapter 22 in this particular place um are are, are meant to uh, to depict a physical river a spiritual restoration of genesis uh, 1 and 2 um if they are present or if they will be future i, I just don't know i will go and i'll go and read up um because now you got me intrigued um the only other thing that i will say is uh, if i remember correctly in revelation chapter 7 there's a picture of, of worship present worship um in glory and there's a description of the throne in that chapter uh, 5 6 and 7 and around the throne is an emerald sea and so it, it does it does seem as if there are physical realities and water is 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 at least described but but it looks as if john has has run out of words to describe what he is seeing 
in Revelation 5, 6 and 7 and it might be as we get to Revelation 22 that again he, he's doing his best to describe what he is seeing but in actual fact no, no, no eye has seen and no tongue can perfectly describe what that picture is going to be like and so John is doing his best to paint for us a visual picture of, of all these things that are going through his heart and his mind uh, at the time I do think though also I mean I'm just going to add one other thing that for me when I get to Revelation chapter 22 I get very excited about an eternal state I get I mean it kind of comes back to to, uh, to Charlotte's question earlier about the resurrection I, I get so excited about being resurrected in a sinless body where I can praise and worship God forever and ever but for me the the most amazing thing about Revelation 22 isn't a river that flows from the throne. It is Jesus Christ standing and making these great proclamations. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Like, I get so excited about Revelation 22 because Jesus is there and he is strong and he is powerful and uh, and then together with all the saints throughout all the ages um i kind of i kind of like get into john mode and just say man jesus is coming soon and declare maranatha come lord jesus come <laughs> come urgently come quickly and come and collect me and john that <laughs> we might worship <laughs> you forever and ever in that place that has this river and these trees and <laughs> this throne and all of those kinds of things I don't know if that satisfies you John I, I, I'm sorry if it doesn't but but I guess I guess part of it is saying I, I don't think that we can know perfectly what's going on uh, in that picture sure. um, because I don't even think John is describing it with all the words that he could have and, 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 and has wrapped his mind around what he's seeing but I do know the biggest thing in Revelation 22 is the person of Jesus Christ for sure, I think I think the point what what I was hoping to sort of you know what what you want to apply mm. is that it just sort of helps believers with you know just just daily life you know living living in the river living in the presence of God you know through the power of the Holy Spirit that just sort uh. of that river of life that flows from Him day by day just keeps us motivated uh. keeps us the strength to to move forward okay. and it's like. That's what makes us different to sort of the rest of the world. We have a constant supply of yes. God's presence flowing from His throne to us. Okay, it so, enables so, us and equips us. So, John, that might be a possible mm. interpretation that others hold to about Revelation sure. 22. I, I'm going to offer a different interpretation and give you a different application, but I hope that my application is no less, no less hopeful and joyful. So. So I don't think that it's wise to spiritualize or allegorize um, Revelation 22, 1 to 5. I think that this is going to be a real state, an eternal state. It's going to be a real river. Um, it's not a, 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 a metaphor for spiritual renewal now. I think that this is talking about something that is to come. Uh, in line with right. Revelation chapter 1, I think it might be verse 27. Um, I could turn there, but, but John's whole point in the book of Revelation is to talk about things that are um, things that, uh, and things that are to come. And I, I, I really believe that this falls in the uh, is to come kind of, um, kind of part. Right. But then then how would one apply this text 
I apply it by getting really excited about an eternal state. So in other words, uh, it's not about there's a river that's flowing that I can drink from now, um, although you could make that point in other texts, right? Um, I think of John and Jesus saying, uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit and speaking of water and speaking of uh, of abundant water, even welling up within us uh, to the women at the well in John chapter 4. Um, but, but I think when we get to the end of Revelation, it is talking about a future a future state um, but in terms of application that should just absolutely stir us to hope there is a perfect state that we um, that we will be part of <laughs> that we will be worshipping the lamb um, before um, and that should get us excited even in the year and now it should have very present um, joyful um, emotive uh, reality should flow out of the knowledge of that uh, and so I, I wouldn't interpret that as as being a as being a present source of water and renewal uh, I would interpret that as being a future picture of the eternal state um, but the application would be then one of hope um, that um, that the king is going to come the king is going to there's going to be a return of the king he's going to set up a kingdom it's going to be eternal and we're going to worship him forever and ever together awesome thank you I really appreciate that uh that, that explanation well John I, um, I really appreciate yeah. your questions uh, and I love talking to you on Friday so thank you so much for listening in great keep, keep, uh, keep up the good work I appreciate it man every blessing to you friends thank you it is now like 10 past 10 it is time to go to an ad break and listen to some music we're going to listen to Never See the End by Amanda Cook we will be back with a number of questions and answers uh, questions that have poured in over the last hour Thank you for listening. Yo, listeners, I'm going through the questions that are coming in today thick and fast, and they are absolutely excellent. The difficulty is to try and figure out which ones we're going to have time to answer and which ones we're going to get to. I, I do want to thank you for being uh, so engaged uh, this morning. Um, really, really cool. Um, so I, I, I want to start off um, by uh, uh, with a question uh, from Marlene Britz uh, in the second hour of the show. Um, Marlene asks, should Christians keep the Sabbath as the Jews do? Should Christians keep the Sabbath as the Jews do? Now, Marlene, that is a really wonderful question um really wonderful question um because uh, it kind of um you you you've you've qualified it you haven't just said should christians keep the sabbath um but you've qualified it by asking um as the jews did and and so we can go to scripture and, and ask the question how did jews keep the sabbath um what what is the sabbath day now at first glance um, the question, what is the Sabbath day, seems relatively simple. We would go to, for instance, the Ten Commandments, and we'd go to the Fourth Commandment, and the Sabbath day is, is laid out for us. It's the seventh day of the week. And maybe just to be very explicit, guys, the seventh day of the week is not Sunday. The seventh day of the week is Saturday. Um, uh, Saturday is the seventh day of the week. The Jews uh, would rest on the Sabbath on the seventh day of 
the week. However, uh, maybe just to say that the seventh day of the the Sabbath uh, rest uh, didn't just start in the Mosaic law. The the Sabbath, the this this idea of a Sabbath day, um, goes all the way back to Genesis chapter two, the opening verses of Genesis chapter two, before we get to the the second account of creation, where there's uh, specificity and um, placed on the creation of man and man's relationship to woman um and and what he was doing in the garden um the the beginning the opening lines of the second chapter of genesis um r- really covers the seventh day the first six days covered in genesis chapter one um and it says that on the seventh day um god himself he rested um from this act of creation and so the sabbath day predates the mosaic law um the sabbath day um and this idea of rest um even predates the fall of man into sin so your question here is should christians keep the sabbath day as the jews did now let me just say that the new testament records that jews and converts to judaism met in synagogues and they met on the sabbath day uh, uh, the the gospels have examples of that uh, mark uh, chapter 6 uh, luke chapter 4 um, there's examples of jesus um, being in synagogues on the sabbath day and uh, we also see that in the book of history the establishment of the early church um, so the book of acts contains passages of paul in particular going into synagogues on the sabbath day um, and making proclamation and preaching in those synagogues however there does seem to be a shift in the church even in the book of acts that book of history um so for instance we see in acts chapter 2 i I preached on it last week in fact it would be available uh, even now on the sunday morning sermon on the radio pulpit podcast network if you had to go to rono.fm and you searched for sunday sermon you'd be able to hear uh, this past week sunday sermon or it might be the sunday sermon to come um, and it covers acts chapter 2 verse 42 to 47 Uh, in acts chapter 2 verse 46 we we read that the early christians were meeting every day of the week Um, a little bit later in the book of acts acts chapter 17 we read that the bereans were studying the scriptures every day Um, and then in particular acts chapter 20 verse 7 has this interesting passage on the first day of the week now you'll note it's not the seventh day of the week the seventh day of the week is the sabbath and that is saturday as we go through the book of Acts towards the end of the book, we, we read in chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, we read, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Uh, It seems that the Christian worship 
um, even as the the narrative of the story progressed uh, in the book of Acts and then into the epistles, particularly the epistle of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, the day that Christians were gathering were the first day of the week. And that's often described as a commemoration to Jesus Christ um, who resurrected on the Sunday. And so emphasis placed on Christ and his resurrection. And so traditionally Christians have held their corporate worship service on Sundays, the first day of the week. I want to just like bring in two principles here. Number one is um, that I think we as Christians have freedom to to worship on a day of the week. Just like those early Christians were, were worshiping every day of the week and other early Christians were worship seem to be worshiping on the first day of the week. Um, I think in Christ we have freedom and that would be confirmed. Currently I'm in a Bible study. We're looking at Colossians chapter 2. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 is the next passage that we happen to be hitting. And in Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 it says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in the question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. I, 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 I'm fairly certain that that, that that passage is speaking primarily um, to celebrations, particular acts of celebration, but principalized, um, I would say that, that there's an, a level of freedom that we have um, to celebrate. And then Romans chapter 14, verse 5 and 6 would confirm that. There's one other matter which I just want to allude to, and that's this reality that the New Testament also says that in Christ we have our Sabbath rest and so uh, it, it would seem to me as I piece together all of that scripture Marlene that Christians are do not keep the Sabbath as the Jews did number one the Jews were under the Mosaic law and so around the Sabbath day there were a number of laws which they were obligated to keep in ways that Christians are not obligated to keep um, so that would be the, just the straight answer to your question but beyond that we also see uh, that Christians in New Testament times were worshipping on other days of the week and therefore I would say we have freedom to worship on other days of the week too. There's a couple of follow-up clarifications and comments um, uh, around some of what we have spoken about today. One is related to baptism and excellent observation which I do want to um, address I, I'm now getting lost in all the questions that have come through I'm trying to scroll and find the particular ones um, uh, there was there was a great clarification regarding revelation and I am trying to find it uh, Kevin Robinson um, makes the point is Christ not our rest so does Jesus not become our rest Kevin uh, I did allude to that at the end of that uh, of that statement thank you very much much for um for highlighting that charlotte says hi charlotte yeah again based on the scripture about the river and trees in revelation can we say that there will be time in the new city it speaks of every month <laughs> what a what an interesting question coming spilling out of the this conversation in revelation 22 um so now we now we're asking about uh, about time and and i guess the connection that you're making between rivers a river flows and so in order for a river to flow there must be a passage of time for water molecules to move from one point to another and um, for there to be trees trees need to grow they're organic uh, and so the question is uh, is there going to be a passage of time in order to accommodate that and for, for that to happen. Um, great, intriguing question. 
let me say in some ways my, my understanding of scripture is that is that time becomes a, a little bit immaterial in an eternal state uh, an eternal state is forever and ever um However, we do read in Scripture um, of heaven, and we read uh, in Scripture of a passage of time. I'm I'm just trying to uh, find the passage. Uh, Revelation chapter six, verse nine and ten, Charlotte, might be helpful to you. Um, it talks about the the breaking of seals in that chapter, and in verse nine, it's talking about the breaking of the fifth seal, and uh, and the apostle says that he sees under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the witness that they had borne and they cried out with a loud voice O sovereign Lord holy and true how long before you will judge and avenge our blood um, I mean just in terms of that particular passage um, th- there's waiting um, in heaven uh, of these martyrs they're, they're waiting for a, 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 a vengeance to happen and, and that's talking of heaven it's a picture of heaven um, in addition to that there is Revelation chapter 8 which which I think is kind of like open and shut in Revelation chapter uh, 8 we read that the lamb opened the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour and so even as we read that fearful passage at the end of revelation chapter 8 there is a passage of time which is which is certainly spoken about there and so charlotte i would say yes there is the passing of time uh, in heaven we're going to listen to a voice note from james uh, james uh, sent in a voice note thanks for this james uh, let's listen attentively to the question or the statement uh, good morning mark it's with regards to the baptism biblical speaking i would just also like to add that according to ephesians 4 there's only one baptism and the only biblical baptism that is recognized is the baptism of john which is the baptism of repentance unto the forgiveness of sins so when jesus came to john to be baptized by him in the river jordan uh, he at first he um, uh, did not want to do so he withstood him but jesus answered saying that he must allow it now he must permit for so it is fit for us to fulfill all of the righteousness of god but the scribes and the pharisees at some stage they did not accept the counsel of God and rejected the counsel of God by not letting them being baptized by John. God bless. Keep well. Thank you. Amen. Well, James, uh, very well spoken, by the way, and thank you so much for bringing that up. But you have now injected so much complexity into this conversation of baptism. Um, but, I, but I do want to address it. Um, I, I thank you so much for pointing to scriptures. Thank you so much for being so clear uh, in what you said. Um, but I want to pick up on something that you said, that there is only one baptism in scripture. And I, I just want to discount that and say that 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 that, that 
isn't actually true. I want to point you to a couple of scriptures. I want to encourage you to go away and give this some thought and give it a little bit more reading. And uh, maybe in a future um, in a future show, come back to me and we can engage a little bit more around around baptism. I'm going to make a case right up front, and uh, I mean this is off the bat, but I'm going to make a case for three baptisms in Scripture, at least three baptisms in Scripture. The first one you have correctly identified, that was the baptism of John, and it was a baptism of repentance that's confirmed again in the book of of Acts. Um, let me say that that particular baptism was a baptism whereby um, before John, in terms of of history the way that we understand it uh, proselytes who were coming to faith coming to Judaism um, believing in Yahweh um, uh, during that that early first century um, would be baptized by water in as part of the process of identifying themselves um, with the Jewish nation it was a baptism that was related to identification with repentance um, and identification uh, with uh, with moving from from being a Gentile, being outside of the Jewish faith, and moving toward the Jewish faith, Jesus goes through that baptism himself uh, in order to fulfil all righteousness. We read about that in the Gospels, but that is a different baptism to Christian baptism, which Jesus describes in Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Matthew chapter twenty-eight um, is a baptism, a command of Jesus Christ, not to be associated with. With Judaism but to be associated with him Jesus Christ his person um, uh, it, it is a baptism of identification with Jesus Christ and with the church of God we see that in Acts chapter 2 when those who believed were baptized and that day 3,000 were added to their number that's Acts chapter 2 verse 41 the third baptism, and this is really important when we come to Ephesians chapter 4, the third baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a baptism which occurs not connected to water, but a baptism which occurs at the point of salvation when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And Ephesians chapter 4 is referring to that baptism. Now, let me just explain what the word baptism means, James, because that might help you to understand what I'm saying. The word baptism doesn't necessarily mean um, water like we do in the Baptist church. I'm a Baptist. Uh, we've got like a pool in the front of most Baptist churches. People duck underneath water. <laughs> um, the pastor will kind of hold them down for 30 seconds and we'll baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the word means. The word comes to us from Greek, baptizo, and it literally means immerse. Uh, it, it means immerse. And so it gets used in different ways in Scripture. One of the ways that it gets used is immersion into water. Now, we know that it's immersion into water because the example of the um, Ethiopian eunuch who is baptized um, by Philip uh, on the road to Gaza. He he looks, he says, look, there's water. What's preventing me from being baptized? And the text later on goes to say that they went down into the water. The baptism w w was, was one of immersion. They go down into the water. That's one type of baptism. But but immersion is used in Scripture in, in a number of different ways. I, I think of Romans chapter 6, for instance, where it talks about baptism. And there, the baptism 
baptism is an immersion into the spirit, an immersion and a unification with Jesus Christ in his in his death, in his burial and in his resurrection. Now now the immersion that's described in Romans chapter six is a what whilst it is a spiritual immersion, it's using the metaphor of water baptism, um kind of going down into the water being underneath the water and coming out of the water but Romans chapter 6 is a dry passage it's a dry baptism passage now to Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4 is a dry um, passage it's talking about baptism and it's been uh, transliterated from baptizo to baptism but really it's talking about immersion yeah it's talking about the point of salvation there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one god and father over all who is over all and through all and in all and then he goes on and he speaks about gifts uh, that are given to the church through the person of Jesus Christ. But Ephesians chapter 4 um, verse uh, 4 and 5 would be another example of a dry baptism passage. Um, it's not a wet baptism passage. However, what a great observation and a pointing to scripture. I really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so much, James, uh, for calling in. Um uh, there's so much that is going on at the moment. I, I'm I'm just trying to scroll through it and, and read through everything and, and and get to as many questions as possible. There's a question for advice. I'm going to read the WhatsApp question as I possibly can, um, and I'm going to just answer it um, as I can. So l- let me read. Um, uh, the passage it says I visited a certain church the question comes in from Michael or the observation the pastor is a woman she claims to be a prophet she apparently has been to heaven and hell on numerous occasions she claims to be a seer and sees snakes monkeys and crocodiles in certain homes so she and her team cleans these homes of these objects while preaching she claims that she just saw the lord and wishes her congregation could see or could also see him she drops salt around someone she prays for during the service she interprets omens um always about a member whose death is imminent your comment please pastor mark as her congregation fears her well um michael thank you so much for the question uh, I've read it as you wrote it, um, and I really do appreciate it. Um, you've asked for my comment. I'm going to give you my comment. I'm also going to give you a, a bit of Bible, uh, a bit of thus saith the Lord, um, to confirm some of what I am saying. So uh, my comment, my, my opinion, as I read through what you have written, um, is, Michael, you ought to run as fast as you possibly can. Um, it seems very clear to me, based on what you have written, uh, that this is incredibly dangerous. Everything that's going on here um, is dangerous. A lot of what you've described seems seems absolutely counter-biblical. Um, let me just start off with some of the phrases that you've used. The pastor is a woman. Um, uh, maybe I could just point you to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, this saying is trustworthy. In other words, you can take this to the bank. If anyone ascri- uh, aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And therefore the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Just so far in the reading of God's word. Um, 
friend, the, the office of pastor is an office which is reserved for male leadership in the church. This case can be made in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This case can be made in 1 Timothy chapter 3. This case can be made in Titus chapter 1. It's not even up for debate. Now, granted, there are many within the Christian faith who might take a different view to me um, and might um, interpret these passages in in rather novel and inventive and new ways um, but I would point you to those passages just in terms of your opening lines and say there are red flags going up all over the place she claims to be a prophet now I must acknowledge that uh, when it comes to prophecy um, uh, the debate is currently raging and it's been raging for <laughs> at least since 1904 um, as to whether or not there's a continuity of this office uh, in the church um, but maybe I'll point you even if even if you hold to an ongoing um, uh, gifts, uh, charismatic gifts and this particular office I would like to point you to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and particularly to the end of that chapter it talks about the gift of prophecy and it talks about anything that a prophet says must be checked um, must be tested uh, I'm thinking of 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 again this idea of testing all things uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in actual fact says don't despise prophecy but test all things and hold on to the good uh, the, pro the the bottom line is um, uh, sh she might make a claim to be a prophet um, but if she is a prophet or not needs to be tested very very carefully as for being to heaven and hell on numerous occasions uh, that is so subjective it, it can't be tested um, but but let me say uh, it, it is incredibly unlikely um, that that is true. I keep on hearing accounts of people fabricating um, uh, visits uh, to heaven and coming back with new revelation of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about the book of Revelation for the last while and in the book of Revelation, I mean it's, it's really interesting in chapter 2 the words of Jesus um, Christ, um, the closing words of the book. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them God will add to him the plagues described in this book and if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book um, people who, who make claims um, and often um, really um, sensational claims of visiting other realms um, are really place themselves in danger um, and sometimes set themselves against God particularly when they offer new revelation new revelation which hasn't been revealed in God's word I think of the opening words of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1 which speaks about very much the same thing long ago in many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things whom he also created the world and Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and he is much superior to the angels I think again of the book of Jude which is a book which I've studied in detail and it seems to me that 
Jude and Peter have something to say about these people who make these fabricated claims. Um, Jude says that they blaspheme the kinds of things that they don't understand. Um, he declares a woe to them in verse 11. Um, he, he calls them hidden reefs. He calls them wild waves of the sea. Um, and as you come to the end of the book of Jude, uh, he calls them puffed up um, in their own dreams, uh, puffed up dreamers. Um, he says, yet in like manner in verse 8, these people relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. In other words, claiming to be spiritual, in actual fact they are something that they're not. Peter speaks in the exact same words of these people. I mentioned that I'm currently doing a home Bible study and we're in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 says this of people like that um, he says that they um, uh, let no one disqualify you insisting on aestheticism the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensual mind people who ultimately are not holding fast to the head and that's the person of Jesus Christ as soon as people start dropping salt around the place and uh, talking about omens and uh, people whose death are imminent and 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 this kind of stuff red flags should be going off all over the place your closing statement as her congregation fears her is 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 just terrifying absolutely terrifying even the idea um, friend, I'd encourage you to hold to scripture. I've given you plenty of scriptures with which to start the end of the book of Re Revelation, the beginning of the book of Hebrews. I've spoken about the book of Jude. I've spoken about the book of 1 Peter. And I've spoken about Colossians chapter 2. That would be a great place to start uh, in terms of, uh, of thinking through some of what you are seeing before you. Um, in Lord's Day services thank you so much for the observations and for the question Michael I really appreciate it friends the, there's so much coming in I, I mean it, it's just it, it's an amazing morning I love your questions uh, you certainly are um, are, are stirring me uh, Kevin thank you so much uh, for your uh, for your comments uh, Tinker um, uh, thank you for your comments Alter I, I see your questions I, I might have to get back to some of you because you've got such important questions I might have to get back to some of you um, after the show um, during uh, during the period of next week as best as I can uh, or I encourage you if, if your question was asked and not answered to please ask it again uh, next week or the week after I really do appreciate all the engagement um, this morning um, I do see that Teresa asked some questions and uh, I'd love to at least uh, tuck into one of these questions I'm just scrolling through the list it came in via um, it came in via WhatsApp uh, Teresa I'm just seeing if I can find it as bit there you go I've got it now and um, Teresa says greetings great to have you back great to be back I hope you guys enjoyed my friend Rocky last week um, and uh, another friend of mine Alan Lester last week it was great to uh, hear those two godly men talking about the things of God uh, Teresa has um, has a number of questions like usual and he says thanks in advance let me read them I'm just going to pick one question um, and that might possibly close out the show um, he says scripture and questions nevertheless many 
Even the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. That's John chapter 12, verse 42. What does this mean, that the rulers are actually not believers, seeing that they were more afraid of the Pharisees? You know what? I'm just going to answer that one off the cuff, Teresa. Excuse me. Thanks so much for asking it. So when we get to John chapter 12, we've got a couple of very interesting dynamics going on in the book of John. Um, We've got Jesus who at this stage is becoming increasingly antagonistic and increasingly antagonizing the rulers of Israel. And when it's talking about the rulers of Israel, it's talking about the Pharisees um, who are a a group of uh, priests. It's talking about the Sadducees who are the aristocracy, the ruling elite. It's talking about the Herodians. Um, They are uh, the the kind of political party of the day. Um, Jesus is, is, is being set increasingly against these groups of people um and the many that it's speaking about in 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 john chapter 12 uh, well there is a crowd a very vast crowd made up of many different people that are listening to jesus christ some of them are believing and coming to faith and entering into that group of disciples uh, we know that jesus had a large group of disciples particularly people from the north of the country in galilee um, but he also had 70 closer disciples and then even closer to him he had 12 disciples who were with him for all three years of his ministry. In this text it says many even of the rulers were believed uh, believed in him. We know in John uh, chapter 3 for instance Nicodemus had come to him by night and said you know what we know that you must be from God because you couldn't be doing all of this and saying all of this if God had not sent you. We know at the end of the book of John uh, Nicodemus the same Nicodemus is involved in in taking the body down of Jesus Christ and preparing it for burial for indeed he was a secret disciple so it turns out in terms of the rulers and uh, you know when we talk about the rulers we could even talk about a more um, precise set of rulers um, that would be uh, the, the the 72 the council the ruling council of Israel of which Nicodemus was a part um, even some of those rulers believed in him but because of the Pharisees they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue the Pharisees were the were this priestly group they held incredible sway particularly amongst the people they were very popular um, unlike the Sadducees who were like an aristocracy um, ruling families that controlled the higher echelons of society the, the Pharisees were made up of, of common people they, they loved God's word and they were involved uh, in teaching people God's word and so they were very popular amongst the people and very powerful within the context of the synagogue system so uh, you might remember Teresa that uh, a man who was was healed from being lame he was lame even from birth um healed from being lame uh, went out with his mat uh, having put it underneath his arm and 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 praised god and the pharisees took him aside and, and questioned him intensely um and then questioned his parents and later put him out of the synagogue because they had that kind of power and so it turns out out of fear for the pharisees even those who were believing in jesus 
Christ weren't confessing him openly as the Christ, the Messiah, the sent one of God, because they feared that they would be put out of the synagogue. That's an indictment, really. That's that's an indictment, a fear of man rather than a fear of God. Turns out that later on in the story, some of those start to confess Jesus Christ, like Nicodemus. Um, I'm thinking of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, it's, it's actually quite staggering as the story progresses. In Acts chapter 5, there's a massive purification that happens as Ananias and Sapphira are killed. I'm going to be preaching on that this Sunday at Central Baptist Church at the Hill Campus in Suavalpuit. Um, uh, there, there, there's, this, there's this purification of the church, and it says in the text that many started coming to faith, even many of the priests were putting their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior at that time. Um, you go on to ask a question, how should the church treat members who leave the church, maybe because of work persecution, and then come back to church once the persecution is over? Oh man, this idea of people falling away from the faith um, is is a reality that um, that actually isn't just academic, Teresa. It happens. I, I mean, I've been involved in discipling people who once professed Jesus Christ as Lord and then fall away from the faith. I can tell you when they return um, to the faith, when they return to Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, um, my heart... <laughs> It just rejoices. A little bit like that parable of the man who loses a sheep and for the sake of the one goes out for the 99. And when he finds it, he calls all of his neighbors together and rejoices. Um, and that parable is about the rejoicing even in heaven amongst the angels uh, at uh, the salvation of the lost. I, I think of a, another parable in that same set. I'm fairly certain that that set is found in the book of Luke. Uh, I'm not going to look it up right now. But in that same set, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a parable of a woman who loses a gold coin. Uh, you know, this was really important. It wasn't a, a piece of jewelry. Um, this would have been a widow. Uh, the gold coins were her diary. It's how she would have lived. Uh, she loses a gold coin. She sweeps the entire entire house in order to find it. When she finds it, she rejoices. She calls in all the neighbors um, because she found her lost coin. And then I think of that greatest parable of all, the parable of the lost son, the lost coin, uh, the lost sheep, and then finally the lost son. Uh, that boy who who basically um, uh, takes his inheritance before his father passes away and heads off to a far-off country and squanders it and then is sitting in abject poverty in a pigsty, looking at what the pigs are eating and wishing that he might eat the same and thinking, you know what, even the servants in my father's house were better off than I am. Uh, let me go and just ask for mercy from my father and he starts walking uh, I mean I actually get emotional as I think about it the father is I mean I think of my own children I'd be the same the father is at the door looking waiting for his son when he sees him he, he runs to him and throws his coat over him and embraces him and and calls for the servants to to slaughter to slaughter a fattened calf because the celebration is beginning <laughs> because the man has returned that's the kind of heart i want to have for those who return um, not for those who return because of pragmatic reasons, but because those who return because their heart is one. You know, the opposite, and the reason why Jesus is telling the parables is because he's getting antagonistic with another group of people, the Pharisees. And he tells the story of the older brother 
as part of that story of the prodigal son the older brother is is angry he can't even come into the house because he says why have you done this you know i've been with you the whole time you never slaughtered a, a, a calf for me this is ridiculous and and Jesus just points to the state of their heart that they didn't that, that they don't love the things that Jesus loves that they don't have the mind of Christ in these matters um Teresa um for myself um I understand that people sometimes fall away in persecution I understand that people sometimes fall away in the course of normal life but when a person returns brother we celebrate we celebrate people returning to the faith we celebrate if you're listening in today and you've been far from god for a period of time you've maybe um, been away from the church uh, you've maybe been caught up in sin um can i can i ask you to think about even what we've just said in this last passage of time um and and hear the call on your life to repent and to return to your first love. I'm thinking of the book of Revelation, chapter 3, um, that Lacedonian church, that lukewarm church. Um, friend, don't be lukewarm. Return to Jesus Christ. Return to the church. Run. Flee. Um, he's waiting for you like the father who embraces that child, that, you might be, that he might be glorified in your life. Um, let's see if we've got time for one last question if anyone hears my sayings this is a quote from John chapter 12 and does not keep them I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him the word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day please clarify the text which person of the trinity does the judging <laughs> that's such a great question who does the judging well the short answer is actually again in the book of Revelation wow we've spent a lot of time at the end of the book of Revelation today haven't we guys um, at the end of the book of Revelation we get a very clear view of who does the judging but through the book of John we get a very clear view of, of who did the judging now maybe just to say that Revelation and the gospel of John is written by the same person the apostle John um, the Apostle John writes both books, both internal and external evidence points to this. Um, and so John has one theology through both his gospel account as well as in the book of Revelation. The judge is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the firstborn over all creation. He who holds the keys to Hades, he who is over the church, it is the one who walks amongst the lampstands in chapter 1 of Revelation. He is the one who sits on the great white throne thrown at the end of revelation and judges the heavens and the earth and the judge of all people is jesus christ it is he that is the person of the trinity who does the judging but obviously as we read scripture there's a number of times in different circumstances that judging takes part takes place um one of the realities is what will stand against us on that day and um, we will be judged um by the word we'll be judged by when we have transgressed the word of god the commands of god those of those commands which have been written in our heart and those commands which have been written in his word when we sin um, uh, we will be found guilty of that sin and that is what Jesus Christ will be judged maybe just to say I mean just to close out with the gospel friends on that great and glorious day there will be books that are open books of works and people will try and justify themselves based on what is written in the books of works no one will be saved by the works that they have done good works good things 
giving to church, going to church, calling yourself a Christian. No one will be saved by the works that they have done. On that day, there will be a second book and it will be opened. And in it will be names written in the Lamb's book of, of life, written in the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life will be saved from the wrath that is to come. Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the grave on the third day. If you are listening to the show now, can I encourage you to turn from your sin and place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? You will be saved. God has saved you from his wrath. God has saved you by his Son. And God will save you to his eternal glory. If this conversation about Revelation 22 has stirred your heart and if this knowledge of a judgment to come at the end of the book of Revelation has stirred your heart, the only safe refuge that you have, the only harbor that you can rest in is the person of Jesus Christ. Find your rest in him. Amen and amen. Look, as we come to the end of the show, we close off the show um, each week um, saying really the same things. Um, our prayers will go out to those who hold the line in local churches, elders and deacons, as well as to those who serve on foreign fields. Each week my prayers do go out and much respect goes to first responders. Our, if you know a policeman <laughs> or if you know someone in the defense force or those who dispense judgment, uh, judgment, uh, those who dispense justice, firefighters, paramedics, our nation's nurses and medical personnel, pray for them. Pray that they would do their duties well. Correctional facility officers, judges um, and even politicians in our country. You have been listening to Table Talk with me, your host Mark. We're going to be going to news shortly and so until next week Friday walk wisely live holy and testify zealously God bless Amen